Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 279. Go out, enjoy cars of any value. In fact, always make sure you've got a car somewhere in there that you don't worry about the seats or the paint or, you know, the collectability, but one that you can just, that has a lot of character that you can go have a lot of fun in and get the family out in and and not be afraid to get it dirty or torn up a bit. Because that's what really it's all about, is having as much fun as you can and, and making those memories. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Award-winning author and designer Dwight Knowlton has done it again. His book, The Greatest Race, is now available. The Greatest Race is the story of Sir Sterling Moss's epic and record-crushing win of the 1955 Mille Miglia in the Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR. In collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss himself, Dwight has created a wonderful children's book from this epic race as a follow-up to his best-selling book, The Little Red Racing Car. I have my own copy of The Greatest Race, and I can tell you, this kid's impressed. Like his previous book, this one is printed in the USA. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find both of his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize the road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at carpegear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're at his website. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E gear.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am revved up and so excited to introduce a very special guest, Derek Hill. Derek, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am ready. Ready as always. Okay, great. Derek Hill is a Santa Monica native and comes from an automotive family that has left their mark around the world. He's the son of America's first world driving champion, Phil Hill. Derek is most recently known for his work as a precision driver and actor in GM's launch of Cadillac's new ATS. Derek pursued a career in motorsports for over 10 years, taking class wins in the Daytona 24 Hours, the Sebring 12 Hours, and many other events, driving for the factory BMW M3 team. He's working on a film documentary about his father's life, and he's a judge and MC at the Pebble Beach Concours de Elegance, where his father won many years ago. He's an active vintage racer, participating in the Le Mans Classics, Goodwood Revival, and the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion. Derek, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little more about your history, your racing career, your interests, and of course your passion for automobiles and driving cars really fast? Surely, yeah. Well, you know, I I feel like everyone comes into their passion of cars uh, in a unique way. And mine was kind of by total immersion from from day one. So I almost didn't even have perspective <laughs> on how embedded I was in the car world until I got a little bit older and, you know, could, could sort of step back from it a bit. But, you know, having a father who was so into cars, I mean, even from a racing driver's perspective, he was so into cars in, in terms of being uh, a, a mechanic, you know, he was so into the technical side of cars and that, you know, I, I was born after he retired from, from racing. So even though he was a well-known racer, uh, his main thing when I was growing up was being a car restorer. He had opened up Hill and Vaughn, which became the first 
car restoration, classic car restoration facility in, in Los Angeles to do everything from A to Z. You know, before then, it, it kind of was uh, sort of contracting out the work to get your upholstery done here and get the body painted there and, and that sort of thing. So our, our whole life was, was cars. He, he expanded the garage, a two-car garage that we had at the house, into a nine-car garage. So we, we literally had a postage stamp of a, of a backyard, <laughs> and, and the rest of it was all garage. And so that's where actually his, his business had started. But I got to grow up with him sort of working part-time at the house and part-time you know, going down to his shop. And and see the growth of that shop, you know, from a very early age as they moved to bigger places, bigger spaces to 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 as they expanded as a business. So I was just uh, I, I guess it was total immersion. And I saw more of the, uh, the, the the classic car side, the the restoration side that as a child, you don't always have the patience for. So mm-hmm. when I got to go out and do. Uh, go along with him to some of the races because he would still be asked to go do an article for road and track or go to Long Beach to the Grand Prix in order to be like a marshal or drive the pace car. That's when uh, the spark really went off for me to just see, uh, you know, this world and the excitement of that world. And, And just as a child to feel that energy and see the cars going flat out that was really exciting. And, you know, but then we would, we would balance that out by going every summer, every August, we had two events that we did every year as a family. And one was the Modoc County. Uh, it was basically a, a vintage car rally in Modoc County. So these were cars that my dad was really more into at the time, like teens cars, 20s cars. He was really into Packards. And we would usually trailer up from LA leaving at about four in the morning uh an old uh, one I remember very well is going up in a 1911 Pierce Arrow wow all original my dad had even put uh seat belts in the back for my sister and I <laughs> in the rumble seats and we would uh get up to Alturas which is the very northeastern part of California and uh, we would just go on a four-day tour put on by a rancher up there. And it was just fantastic. It was really experiencing what the automotive life was like, you know, back in the early part of the 20th century. And even the setting up there with the ranches and stuff, not much would give away that you were in modern times because everything still probably looked similar to what it had back then. So sure. we just, uh, th- I think having the contrast of those types of experiences with the racing, that's what formed my interest in it all from a young age. It's so cool to grow up in a family like that and be around that. And, you know, we had uh, Glenn Vaughn, Ken Vaughn's son on the show, not uh-huh. too, uh, a couple months ago. And he shared a lot of his memories about your father and his father and working on their shop. But, you know, you've developed a whole life of your own around cars and so forth. And before we get into some of the questions, can you talk a little bit about what you're doing today and some of the racing maybe you did in the past? Sure. Yeah. So today I am doing a mix of things automotive. Uh, After having gotten out of racing as a full-time commitment. Uh, I'm doing more precision driver work. 
but also following my interest in in a do, doing a documentary about my father actually mm-hmm. so when my father was was alive you know he passed away in 2008 and in the last um i'd say 5 6 years of his life we had started on a book project in fact it was uh, friends of ours friends of my father's who had said let's do a book about all these pictures that you had taken while you were a racing driver. You know, he, he as a hobby, he would take these pictures with color Kodachrome back in the, the late 50s and early 1960s <laughs> when he was over in Europe racing or even in the, when he was still racing over in the U.S. in sports cars. And so that project, which, believe it or not, is still going on, has <laughs> just been uh, a really interesting. It, it was the way that brought me into the history of his racing, you know, which – when you're when you're younger and you're just following your own passion for cars and as I was getting into the racing, I didn't really look at the history much of what my father did. It just, you know, you see it more in sort of a two-dimensional format. Whereas when I really started sitting down with my father, as he got more and more uh sick, you know, before, you know, he was terminally ill and had this rare form of Parkinson's which you know, it made him have to actually sit down and not move around at, at the mm. light speed like he had mm-hmm. all this time before. And it was when I was actually able to really dive into the subject of his his racing career. And I, I would sometimes have to get on the phone with, with some of the people that he, uh, you know, raced with, such as Carol Shelby or Sterling Moss, and ask them questions because he couldn't quite remember what was going on? They were always so happy to to take a call from him and and to speak with me about you know answering any questions and and that whole world started to become alive and you know when my father passed away it just it struck me so hard. Well, once these folks are gone, they're gone, and I wanted to get the stories right from you know right from them and as many as I could. So I embarked on a documentary film at the same time. And just one about interviewing as many people as I could uh, speak to that really were there during the heyday of his career. Wow. Well, it's going to be wonderful. I, w- I can't wait till you complete that project. It's going to be fantastic. And you're right. I've enjoyed having some guests on the show here at Cars yeah, that are retired racers, older racers. And I uh, had Denise McCluggage on a few weeks ago. We just lost her. I know she was a friend of your father's. And to have that voice and and learn from the person themselves is the best thing, of course. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's something that's been instrumental in forming your life and and driven you, and it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. Derek, I know you love to drive, so take the wheel. Sure. Well, you know, as as much as I was thinking of an actual quote or or mantra, I always just follow – uh, I, I always follow my intuition and sort of, and follow the, the North Star, you know, of, of my life, that sort of figurative inner direction, which has always taken me to the next place. You know, whether there's any rationale to it or not, that has been the most important thing is following following my gut feeling. Because, you know, at every turn of my, my racing journey, which started started here in California, but eventually I wanted to move on to Europe and follow that path. Uh, not only because my father had done it, I just felt, gosh, it all comes down to uh, raising a lot of money and a lot of sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And I felt that going over to Europe would be 
as effective, if not more effective, at becoming a better driver, uh, in my opinion. And and I just followed that. And a lot of people questioned me, like, why wouldn't you just stay, you know, in the in the U.S. and continue the momentum that I was building? But you know, when you have that feeling of what you really, not just want to do, but need to do, you just got to go after it, even if you can't explain it very rationally. And you know, I've always done that, and it's always led me to uh, from one thing to the next, and it never it never lets you down, you know. But one thing I I did uh, pick up on last night was watching um, that documentary, Winning, uh, Paul Newman documentary. Ah. And you know, like Paul Newman said, because he would he would relate the car racing to acting and like he said if if you want to get really good at something you have to know how to uh you have if you want to know how to do it good you have to know how to do it wrong <laughs> and and i think that that is so important because the only way you learn how to drive really well or get good at the business of motorsports is by making many mistakes and often doing it wrong and um and i have to say like going over to europe and my early days of racing in the U.S., I, I was able to make many mistakes but have the support around me to get right back in the car and, and continue doing it. Well, it's great that you mentioned that because I, I've had many guests on the show who said the same thing. And one that comes to mind is the very eclectic Magnus Walker, who you may know of him as the Porsche guy, the wild guy with the long dreadlocks. And he said the same thing. Always, that was his quote, always go with your gut. And his career has gone from one step to the next. And he said, you know, I've gone from doing clothing design to renting out space for movies and then his Porsche deal. And he said, I just listened to that inner voice, that North Star, as you so eloquently stated. And I think that's important. A lot of people don't listen to that. And then they follow paths that other people direct them to or things they think they should go down because of what others are thinking. Great way to think about it. And by the way, Matt D'Andrea, the executive producer of Winning the Racing Life of Paul Newman, has also been a guest here on Cars Yeah. Will you share a story that instigated your passion for cars and racing? Now, I know you were, you were born into it. It's in your genetics. But is there a point in time that you can think back when you were a little kid, when you just realized, you know what? I'm a car guy. I'm a racer. Well, I have to say, like, I think what drew me into it more than anything was the the racing aspect. You know, that's where my imagination, that's what captured my imagination as, as a young as a young boy. Um, I, I liked pulling things apart, but I wasn't really good at putting them back together. Mm-hmm. I realized at an early age or, you know, what, what really interested me was just the uh, the sport and the fun of going fast. I mean, I, I even liked I was a sprinter as a kid. I liked running fast. I liked driving fast. And I think that's what I was most naturally inclined to want to do. So anytime I could get in my go-kart and tear around the neighborhood <laughs> or or just uh, get down to a Malibu Grand Prix and eventually start racing go-karts, that's when I really felt like I was enjoying uh, the, the, the the automobile to the fullest. And, you know, I, I guess as, um, as life went on, you know, I, I learned to appreciate more what the vintage cars, what the classic cars were all about and, and why and when and how you can get so much appreciation out of those cars. Yeah. Malibu Grand Prix. I remember those. You, I grew up in Southern California like you did. And I remember the first one that opened in San Diego and we all went down there and terrorized the place and we're told to leave, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Getting a little too bumpy out there on the track. But yeah, Malibu Grand Prix. What fun. 
Yeah. What I'd love to do now is have you share a huge challenge or a great failure that you faced along the way. You know, motor racing is fraught with ups and downs. And I'd love for you to share a point where you were just going to say, you know what, I'm going to hang up the towel. This is no good. But most importantly, how did you overcome that particular challenge? And what did you learn from it so that you can move forward? Well, I guess I could say uh, one of the biggest challenges I've had was my first year when I was racing over in Europe, uh, I moved to England and I moved to Bedford, England, which is this little town north of London. There's not a whole lot going on. It was, it was, it was a lot of culture shock, I would say. There wasn't really a good place to go out and, and get a bite to eat even, you know, and it was early in the season, like in February when I got over there. So it was dark and it was cold. I mean, this is coming from a kid who grew up in Southern California. So, and it's just all of that added up to a challenge. But, you know, as, as the racing got going, the, the, the real challenge was um, about four or five races in, I had a really big crash at uh, Brands Hatch. And luckily, I, I was okay. There were no broken bones. But boy, I went from about 140 miles an hour to a stop in about a period of about 15 feet, hitting a tire barrier uh, right at the end of the straightaway when my nose cone uh, fell off the car. And it was it was it was a big whack that sent me to a London hospital in, in the back of an ambulance. And I was just I'd never been so sore in my life. And so I spent the next two weeks in bed sleeping about 16 hours a day and you know, I didn't have any real friends or family around during that recovery period. And and I think just the, the experience of being out on my own, uh, this is what I decided to do. And I'm going to recover from this and I'm going to continue doing what I want to do was uh, I had to dig really deep. And yeah, I'm the first few, I got back in a car three weeks later. And I remember like even my brain, I don't think was telling it was telling me you know it's not quite time to get back in the car i just i couldn't get myself sort of revved up i didn't feel the adrenaline pumping but i just felt like well at at minimum i'm just going to go through the motions and do this Mm -hmm. and you know i remember that was the time when lance armstrong was over there uh doing all the tour de france uh wins that he was doing i mean i didn't know and of course didn't know back then what he was getting up to yeah yeah but sure enough, it was inspiring. And so I was drawing on all this inspiration, but going it alone. And, you know, I, I got back in the car and I finished the season and had a strong finish over there and just felt like, you know, you, you've got to you've got to just, as they say, get right back on the horse when you have one of these incidents. Yeah, absolutely. You're telling that story reminds me of a bit of the story, of course, more tragic with Nicky Lauda, where he got burned and when he got back in the car so soon and his brain just, uh, if the movie was anything like reality, wasn't quite wrapped around the, the wheel yet. And it's yeah. just, oh, gosh, do I, this is too soon. Should I be there? And it's great, though, that you came through that. And as you said, dig deep. And your passion took over. He just knew that's what you were supposed to be doing. So I'm, gra- I'm glad you're okay from that uh, shunt yeah. and uh, you survived everything. Let's shift gears here, Derek, and go to the other end of the spectrum and have you share one of those aha moments in your career, whether it's your racing career or your current career, and tell us the steps that you took to turn your aha moment into a success. It's a big question, and I, and I have to say probably it's going right back 
to the beginning when um you know racing has was such a big part of my life and, and has given me so much um in terms of perspective and uh just sheer determination what that's all about and perseverance and you know it came back to me following my true feeling. I did a year of college at University of Oregon, and I knew that I knew within the first few months that I probably shouldn't be doing this for the next four years or more of my life because I just needed to get going on on the racing path. And mm-hmm. it wasn't something my parents uh, necessarily supported. They were, you know, I think just kind of. Uh, allowing me to, to make up my, my, my own mind in life. But I came back for that first Thanksgiving uh, break in November, and I just sat down with my parents and I said, you know, whether you're going to support me or not, I need to go racing. I'm going to finish out this year of college, and I'm just going to start. I don't know where I'm going to start or how I'm going to do it, but I just feel I've got to do it. And my father sat there. I was telling him first, and he just sat there kind of with this stunned look on his face mm-hmm. and um, started calling for my mom who was in the kitchen. <laughs> I need help, support. For help. And, uh, but, you know, I, I felt so, so ready and so set in my, my ways. And, you know, it was, it was not being, um, you know, wishy-washy about it. I was just very clear about my decision and, and it sent me off into just one of the greatest adventures I could ever imagine and and one that I'll always be so grateful that I took. And because I made that commitment and shared it so clearly with everyone, the pieces started falling into place. And that next summer, we were up at Pebble Beach for the Concours and for the Monterey, you know, Historics Weekend. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was the Ferrari year because, uh, yeah, I guess that would have been about 1994. Yeah, I remember that. So my timing was perfect, you know, I didn't really realize that, but it just, you know, with all that enthusiasm, with all the Ferrari enthusiasts being there and my father's involvement with Ferrari, one conversation led to the next and a guy by the name of Andy Evans, who was running a sports car team at the time, uh, in one of the, in one of the Ferrari 333 SPs, he invited me to test a race car, um, out in Phoenix. And that just, that just set the whole ball in motion and and be, and just it was like right out I was being like shot out of a cannon hmm. and it felt like that momentum really carried with me for quite a few years and uh and you just have to make that decision when you know the timing is you know when 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 the time is right you got to just jump in and uh make that full commitment yes it goes back to your comment about trusting your gut and you're fortunate you had parents who were understanding and perhaps not totally agreeable but supportive and allowed you to do that. How about your first really special race car? Could you tell us a memory about that one car that you got in that was just so special for you? Sure. Yeah, I would have to say it's uh, it would be the the Bugatti, the EB110C. I, I think because it was just so exotic. So I had, I'd already raced for a couple years. I did the Formula Dodge series that are the open wheel entry level open wheel cars at the the Skip Barber School. I I'd gotten some training at the Bob Bondurant School. I'd raced in the Ferrari Challenge in um the 348s and you know none of these cars were were spectacular spectacularly good cars I would say <laughs> out on the racetrack. But when I got into uh I was invited to drive this Bugatti which my goodness I mean that was just the object of our affections for a lot of us car enthusiasts 
and to see that thing, uh, you know, on a racetrack and, and let alone be asked to, to drive it for the Daytona 24 hours, that was fantastic. And I have to say that that was me being a kid pinching myself going, do they really understand how inexperienced I am? You know, they're, they are just giving me far too much trust uh, with their car right now. But that's a real growing up moment because you realize that um, you know you don't want to you don't want to waste this opportunity and you want to make the most of it. And that car just flew around the banking in Daytona, and it was not an easy car to drive. You know, all wheel drive, a lot of horsepower, and we were up against some big names out there. You know, in the GT category, mm-hmm. you know, Hurley Haywood was out there in the Porsches, and we had we had all kinds of competition. And, and here we are, the sole Bugatti European team, and uh, we were running great, but unfortunately we broke seven hours in. But that car, everything about it was just so beautiful, and um, I still dream about that race. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Thanks for taking us there. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was the most memorable race that you competed in? And take us through some of the adrenaline pumping experience that you had in that race. Um, gosh, well, I'll have to say, hmm. You know, as much driving as I did in the formula cars and just had some terrific experiences, you know, in, in Europe, driving F3000s and and the formula Dodges and, and on some great racetracks, I would like to talk about the Goodwood Revival really quick. Because oh, yeah. That's where, uh, you know, the when the Goodwood Revival first started getting going in, in the late 90s, that was when I actually had I had had that accident in my first year racing in England, but that September, which was about six months later, Carol Shelby had asked my father if he wanted to race at the Goodwood Revival in one of his Cobra Daytona coupes. My dad had asked, you know, you have to pair up in that race, and so they asked me if I wanted to to race with my father, and I just thought. I really didn't have any idea what I was getting into because I didn't even know what the Goodwood Revival was. I didn't know really what the track was all about. But I went out there. I um, I did a test day just in a rental car, actually, <laughs> just to get my bearings around the racetrack. And I'd never raced a, a vintage race car before. But there we showed up with uh, with Carol Shelby and all and, and rolled out the Daytona Coupe. And... I, I I was I was a little hesitant, a little nervous getting in this car, but boy, once we got going, I just felt like I fit that car so well, and it did everything I wanted it to do. You know, it was fun to really steer the car around with the throttle and to have so much control with the back end of the car and the front end of the car. And you know, because of my experiences with the classic, like really old vintage cars of like the teens and 20s that my dad had taught me to drive in i had a good respect for the brakes and good respect for the gearbox so to me driving the 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 64 daytona coupe was was almost like driving a modern day car and we just uh we had we had a terrific race um it's a one hour long race my father started the race um his eyesight was getting a little bit uh you know bad at that point and he, we had to signal him from from the pit lane. I mean, he could still get out there and drive and drive quickly, but we had to signal him after ten minutes because that was the window. The first driver had to race for at least ten minutes, uh-huh. and we signaled him. Uh, or 
we actually didn't signal him and he read another pit board and came in like at the eight minute mark. Technically, we were, uh, you know, we weren't, um, we were to be disqualified, but because it, I think they were just being respectful to my father being there, we still <laughs> got to finish out the race. And I, I went on an absolute tear. I feel like I lapped the whole field. I was just going like, like a rocket. And um, I'm sure that we came out ahead, but they did place a second place, I think, just because of that technicality. Yeah. But boy, did I have fun. And, you know, to race with my father, and it was just pure excitement and adrenaline. And it actually was just one more layer of confidence that my my head was all right and all my arms and elbows were working okay after my big shunt I had earlier in the year. You know? Wow. What a spectacular opportunity, not only to drive Carol's car and that car and then to do it with your father and do it at that venue. Again, one of those pinch me moments. Am I really here? Um, I'm sure afterwards you just sat back and thought, wow, did I get to do that? <laughs> That's yeah. absolutely wonderful. Is there a project that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Well, I have to say it's, uh, you know, mainly my projects with the the book that we're working on and the documentary, but also uh, this year will be my first year as uh, the MC at the Pebble Beach Concours d'Elegance. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, so that that's uh, you know I'm I'm off to a script meeting um, at the end of the week, and we're we're getting things all buttoned up so that we'll have a really good show. So I'm very excited about that, and you know they're letting me uh, you know contribute with some of my input as to you know what I'll be saying and how the show will go. And, so I'm I'm excited about it. You know, it's a great team to work with up there. They put so much into it, as I'm seeing now behind the scenes, that uh, I, I'm more excited than ever for this year's Pebble Beach Concours. Absolutely. We've had Sandra Button, the chairman of the Concours, on this show and uh, several other people involved. Uh, Diane Brandon, one of the judges for Rolls-Royce and Bentley and other individuals. So I can't wait to see you up there. Will you be walking around on the lawn talking with people? Well, actually, I'll be there. I'll be able to walk around in the morning before the show starts. But then from about uh, midday onwards, I'll be up uh, at the ramp. And so that's where all my main station will be is up on the ramp talking from the podium and, and whatnot. Very cool. Well, I'll look forward to that when uh, when we're down there with you. That'll be great. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Derek. If you were a car or a race car, what would that vehicle be and why? Ah, Good question. Well, I'd have to say, you know, we grew up with with Packards in the garage and one of my all time favorites, we had a pair of these 1915 Packards. One was a 338. It was the Roadster version. And then we had the big one. It was kind of the granddaddy of them. It was called the 548 Packard, which only two of them are left. This was the big seven passenger touring model. And that car, even though it's 100 years old now, that car basically did it all, you know, and and I loved everything about that car. It it just would uh it would it could take you absolutely anywhere. It was just a bulletproof automobile. It it could take you 70 75 miles an hour down the highway no problem. Uh it'd take you down dirt country roads. You know, there was so much wheel clearance that it could we we did have it on on some pretty bumpy roads up in the Modoc County area, that tour I was telling you about. And just, I have to say, like, they built cars so well back then, the craftsmanship, that 
even if we all had to drive cars of that era today, mm-hmm. we would all do just fine. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they were the, 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 when the cars were built to that level of uh, of quality and built to last. You know, it 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 almost sometimes surprises you. Yeah, they come out with nowadays. Well, very unique answer. You surprised me with that answer in many, many ways, but I, I get it. I understand it. And of course, it goes back to some childhood experiences for you as well. I think that's fantastic. So Derek, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a word from our Cars Yeah sponsor. No more worries about a dead battery. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium-ion technology that'll start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle every time. It includes a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight, and it easily recharges with USB outlet so you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool. It's safe and easy to use. Quality, design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Okay, Derek, we're back and we're entering the last lap. The white flag's out. You know what that means. This is where I fire off a series of questions and you give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers so you ready yep what's the best racing advice you ever received and who was it from i guess it was from my father and it was one of my first races at sebring and he just got on the radio and said uh calm cool and collected he probably said that three times on the radio and i think that mantra stuck in my head probably for the rest of my racing career i love it that's fantastic Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? I think it's uh, keeping a clear mind and staying focused. Calm, clear, collected. There you go. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners you think they would really enjoy? I I guess that's to be be determined. I will be working on my own personal website with my own reel with precision driving, but I want people to stay tuned and go to philhill.com for information on the documentary and the book that we are coming out with. Great. Awesome. And speaking of books, is there one book you'd share with our listeners you think they would really enjoy reading? Absolutely. Uh, You know, it's funny. It's not an automotive book, but it's a book that I just found is something that can contribute to all of our interests. And it's called The Architecture of Happiness by Alan de Botin or Alan de Botin. Yeah, and uh, it's just a fantastic read. Wow. Well, we'll add that to our recommended readers list on the Cars yeah website. All of our guests have recommended books, and I've got a full listing there. And that's a new one that I haven't heard of. I'll have to pick up a copy and read it. Sounds really interesting. Do you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm into property and renovation, and I, I just like to, I, I like to get my um, hands on the power tools and the saws and <laughs> build i i you know there's sitting behind a desk is not my favorite thing to do yeah. so i try and get out there and work on hands-on projects and i do a little bit of uh diving you know with um, scuba diving and that kind of thing and very cool and just staying generally staying staying healthy and staying in shape which there takes up a lot of time yes absolutely all right Derek, we're up to the checkered flag and this last question can be a real doozy if you could only have one collector car or collector race car, I'll add that in your garage, 
but don't worry about the price because today I'll buy any car you'd like. What would that one vehicle be and why? It would be a Ferrari F40. You know, I I don't consider myself necessarily the type of guy who'd go out and buy a, a modern-day Ferrari, uh, even though they are just beautiful and fantastic cars. I, I think the F40 being a mid-engine, twin-turbo V8, five-speed manual, you know, something like 470 horsepower. I, I just think it's everything that was great about uh, those cars, the sports cars, before we went into, let's say, the uh, the super electronic age. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're fantastic. I had the pleasure of driving one once. I didn't get to take it very far, but uh, what was amazing to me is it was just kind of a quiet little thing. You pulled it out and went down the road, but when you put your foot down, it turned into something very different. Yeah. <laughs> it just kind of it turned into a monster, but uh, wonderful kind of that F1 technology tucked into the back of a a streetcar, oh, and they're just beautiful too. Yeah. So, Derek, you've taken me on a great ride around the track today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed listening to your stories and hearing about your past. And I want to thank you for sharing your amazing journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Would you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the track in that Ferrari F40? Gosh, um, well, <laughs> I would sure love to. One of these days, uh, I'll get in that F40. I would say, you know, the the thing I've I've seen the car world for, from so many different perspectives and angles at this point. Uh, grew up with a collector, a car restorer, a racer. I've gotten to know so many great people in that world, and and I think my biggest advice is is just to go out and enjoy cars of any value. In fact, always make sure you've got a car somewhere in there that you don't worry about the seats or the paint or you know the collectability but one that you can just that has a lot of character that you can go have a lot of fun in and get the family out in and and not be afraid to get it dirty or or torn up a bit because that's what really it's all about is having as much fun as you can and, and making those memories yes great advice what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you what you're doing you mentioned the phil hill website is there another way to to learn about what you're up to well, I guess most people are on Facebook these days. You can follow me on on uh, Facebook, Derek Hill, of course, and then I have uh, I'm, I'm more active on Instagram actually, and my uh, Instagram name is DJ Hill underscore eight. If you can find me, <laughs> there you go. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything Derek has been so kind to share with us today at the Cars yeah website, CarsYeah.com. Just put Derek D E R E K into the search box. And his show notes page will pop up with all those links so you can connect and follow what he's doing. And we'll all look forward to this new book and documentary. Thank you, Derek, for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you very much, Mark. It was a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!